How do you turn down $30 million to fight someone who's making their boxing debut? Oh, no, you don't. You know what I mean? He irritated me, yeah. And he, he made this remark, actually, at one of the press conferences about me being born with a silver spoon. Far from the truth. For me, boxing was my way of being integrated with the opposing community, the Catholics. Can you see a situation where you and the McGuigans ever let bygones be by, or you forgive? You get the few exceptions, guys like Chris Eubank Jr., who, who came from privilege, but there's not too many who have, who have the same story as him. This is up front with me, Simon Jordan. I believe there are a lot of vacuous, uninformed, unchallenged opinions out there. I want to get to the bottom line and cut through the nonsense. So with this podcast with William Hill, I'm going to get people with strong views who think they can stand them up to proper scrutiny. There's a good chance I might learn something along the way. And more importantly, so might you. Joining me in today's episode, a boxer who lit up his sport in divisions that don't always get the attention they deserve. Whether on these aisles or across the pond, he would always typically draw a passionate partisan support. Rising from the streets of Tigers Bay in Northern Ireland to achieve greatness in the ring by becoming a two-weight world champion. The Jackal, Carl Frampton. How are you, Simon? Welcome to Up Front. Nice Thank to you. see you. Um, one of the stable diets of the shows is boxing. I have a great love of boxing. My two that. great loves in sport are, are boxing and football, and I'm edging towards boxing. That's why you're an exalted company. We've had Tony Bellew, we've had Johnny Nelson, Carl Froch, Billy Joe Saunders, Frank Warren, a mate of yours, Barry McGuigan, yeah. and now you. One of the first things that we do when we're talking to you guys, because I'm so intrigued about the psyche of what makes a fighter, because it's such a unique sport mm. to go into a ring, to go into the business of hurt and know what comes by dispensing hurt and receiving it, comes from a certain psyche. So I always ask you guys straight away the question, which is, what is your why? And by that I mean, what makes Carl Frampton, the person that's sitting in front of me now, from the younger version, become a fighter? What were the motivations? Well, really, initially, why I got into it was was curiosity. Um, my mum says I was asking about boxing when I was three and four years old, and and I that, that's, any family history in it? No, that's and no. that's the surprising part of it. I'm not, I'm not. You know, my dad didn't box. My grandas and stuff were interested in boxing, and the family were interested in it, but no one, no one from a boxing background really. So curiosity really was was one of the driving factors for me, and one of my issues as well as curiosity a kid, in what way? What, just, what what sparked the curiosity? There was a, there was a local club on right. the doorstep, so literally a two minute walk from my, my front door. So I knew there was a boxing club there. I loved all types of sport. And I thought there was a boxing club down the street. I want to try it out and, and see what it was like. And, and my, one of my issues as a kid, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm short now, but mm -hmm. you can imagine when I'm seven years old, I'm a lot shorter and I probably looked like it was four or five. Right. I would have been quiet in the street. And if, if, if someone had have got aggressive, I would have shied away from it. Mm -hmm. But I was good at sport and, and different types of sport. And when I get into the boxing club, the, the guys who were a bit more boisterous in the street, when we sparred each other, I used to beat them up. Right. And, you know, just like, it's human nature, isn't it? You want to be better than the next man. I, I just I just really, really enjoyed that. But it, it's similar to what Tony Bellew and Carl mm. Frotch had said. And I think to make a boxer, the majority of boxers come from that sort of background. Um, You get the few exceptions, guys like Chris Eubank Jr. Yeah. As, as an exception. Who, who came from privilege, but there's not there's not too many who have who have the same story as him. Anything in your background, because obviously there were difficult times in Northern Ireland. There's difficult times still, I suspect, yeah. in certain parts of Northern Ireland. But one of the characteristics that Barry talked about was 
the challenges. Different time. He's obviously older than yeah. you, 20 or, or years older than you, so he would have been at a more sharper end of the yeah. time. But did any of that sort of shape your psyche about your worldview? Absolutely. We talk about integration in, in the education system at home. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about Protestants and Catholics going to the same school. Now, only 9% of schools in Northern Ireland are officially integrated. So okay. um, there's a big divide there, even in the education system. And for me, boxing was my way of being integrated with the opposing community, the Catholics. So I grew up in Tigers Bay, which is a staunch loyalist okay. um, area. And, you know, the influences in the street, they don't like the guys across the road in the New Lodge, the Republican area and they hate them, and, and we believe that they hate us. But because of boxing, seen as a sport, boxing's a sport that really gets a bit of a bye ball and a pass, that right. there was never really too much sectarianism involved in it. Now, when Barry done it, yep. and when AP was doing his stuff on, on the horses, it was a different time. Mm -hmm. um, but there was still a, an aspect of of rivalry and, and hatred as well. But my, my way of being integrated and, and having a different outlook and seeing that these guys are actually pretty similar to us was through boxing because we were mixing with, with other clubs and we were moving around the club sparring and training together. So, Which is what Barry said, to be fair. Yeah, so yeah. We, used, we used to do that and um, you start to realise that this guy that you're, you're supposed to hate is actually pretty similar to, to what I am. There's a story that I think in your book, because you've got a new book out, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. right. Um, about... Your, one of your first experiences when you get into the ring at seven years of age. Mm. Tell me about that. I'd, I'd probably only been in the club a few weeks, but I think that the coaches, Billy McKee and, and Joe Farrell at the time, knew there was something about me right. that I, I maybe could have done something. Um, and they brought me to a place up the north coast. Um, so a, a three-hour round trip for one young kid to have a, a, a three-round fight on his debut. So I don't think typically they would have done that for the normal seven-year-old, but maybe they just seen something in me. Uh, Billy always talked about that he knows if he can work with a kid because of how they react in their first spar. Right. So if you get a punch in the nose, majority will, you know, turn away, turn their head. Some would cry, some would want to quit. Mm -hmm. But he says when I when I get when I get hit, I I used to just fire back. Right. And he liked that, I think, and he knew he, he had something to work with. You talk about Billy McKay, and you talk about the respect that you had for him, but you also talk about some of the treatments that you experienced at that time, mm. and that a lot of people, a lot of young children or kids that were getting into boxing, and perhaps in this day and age more so, wouldn't have been able to cope with it, or it wouldn't have been allowed to go on. Yeah. What are you referring to? So there was two coaches. There was Billy McKee um, and Joe Farrell. Um, and I have a lot of respect for both guys, but Billy was a hard man. He was honest and straight, right. but he was he was very fair. Joe, I felt, was ex-army, very regimental, right. took no shit, right. very disciplined in everything that he'd done. And, and he was a bit more strict than Billy to the point where, you know, I, I'm seven, eight, nine, ten years old or whatever, and, and Joe was... He was just very forceful. Like he would, he would often, he would often push you past probably the limit in, in the gym as a young boy. Um, By doing what? Just just in high you. Like so, pad work, for example. Billy would would work on technique and and combinations mm -hmm. and stuff. Joe was just a hundred miles an hour and everything. And once he seen you tired, you would you would have to do a little bit you more. Again. And yeah. he'd be slapping you with the pads and. 
and, and hurting you as well at times. But and it used to upset me when I was a kid. But I, look, it, it was just a generational thing. I don't think you'd get away with it these days. I think bullying is a really strong word. I'm not going to say it, it right. was that. It was just his, that was just how Joe dealt with people. And it wasn't, he'd done that with everybody. It wasn't just me. Um, but do you think it added, I mean, obviously, as you said, and you alluded to, there was something that they saw in you instantaneously. Um, and Billy talks about, as you've just described, the fact that he can see from the first spar. Do you think that that, that approach from these two guys, diametrically opposed, mm. but notwithstanding it, still a component part of building you, were fundamental to what you eventually became? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Although at the time there was probably, look, Joe was someone, and I don't want to sound like I'm bad-mouthing Joe because I had a lot of respect for Joe, but... At that time, when I was a kid, there was a, a, a bit of animosity towards Joe. I just thought it was a bit too much. But uh, I suppose my mum helped as well, because when I was at home on a Monday, Wednesday or Friday night, and I didn't really want to go down to the boxing club to get um, you know, pushed that. around yeah. by Joe, my mum kind of forced me out the door and, and, and I had to do it. How long was, how long was Joe involved in working with you? Um, from the start until he died, when I was probably late teens. Okay. So from seven years old, uh, maybe so ten a, a years. A significant or so. part of your yeah. formative years. But for me, I didn't really like it at the time. But it's definitely something that I used later on in life, and I think it helped. It, yeah, it, it helped. It helped shape me become maybe a bit, a bit harder. I think, and and mm. you know, to do well. A bit more boxing, resilient. Yeah, a bit more yeah. resilient. And I think to be a boxer and to get to the very top, you need to have a certain amount of toughness yeah, and, cool. and resilience. Yeah, yeah. at the very least, I I read that you were infatuated by older fighters. Yeah. You'd sit in the changing room and you'd want to listen to them and you'd want to ask questions and try and get pieces of advice from them. Mm. When we're young, more often than not, we tend to seek the company of those of our own age. Yeah. You you were slightly different. I'm not going to tell you what, what you were known as. I, yeah, yeah. Particularly, I can't bring it to come out of my mouth, <laughs> Willy Watcher, but I've done it. Right? But what but what was that? What, where did that come from? I don't know. Maybe it was just a, maybe again that was a, a bit of a confidence thing. And when you see the older guys in the gym who are, are showing you a bit of attention, I I, I seem to like that. And, and these guys to me, they weren't. I mean, I still know a lot of them. Was it about gaining knowledge? Gaining, but yeah. no, I don't think it was about no? gaining knowledge. I think it was gaining maybe gaining gain acceptance yeah. and respect. Really, at that stage, um, like these guys, they weren't. None of them were world beaters. They were, you know. You know, very, very average. But they were men. Amateurs, but they were men. Yeah. And, they, and they showed me a bit of respect. And, and I, I and some validation as a yeah, result. Yeah, and I like that, yeah. Moving on to your, when you start to get the engine start to fire, you have an amateur career. And not an insignificant one. Because a lot's made of the amateur career. Whenever someone has a long amateur career, and it's a successful one, it's the reasons why they're successful in the sport. We hear about Anthony Joshua, don't we? And we hear that because he hasn't had an amateur career of any significance, he's learning on the job. So he's going into fights at world title level and working out how to win a fight or, or what the experiences are because of the fact he didn't have an amateur background. You had 100 plus fights and you were, and the, you, your record was not insignificant. How important was an amateur career to you to, to create the platform which inevitably and ultimately you leapt off. I, I think it was very important. I, there, there's a few exceptions um, of, of people who have had short amateur careers and they've done mm. quite well as a professional fighters. And and in a sense, it's almost like two different sports, but it, it definitely gave me a background and it gave me, 
it gave me a platform really to 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 to, to take with me into the professional boxing kind of arena. Um, but I I was an okay amateur. I wasn't brilliant, but I had plenty of fights. If you look at Wikipedia, it's like 108 fights and 100 wins. That's wrong. It was more like 200 fights and 140 wins. Okay. So I'd lost a lot. I'd lost so my first share as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd lost my first share, but I always had a pro style. I was an aggressive amateur. Right. I was, you know, hands high, and and I knew that I knew that I would be well. I was hoping I would be a half decent professional. And when I started to put the feelers out that I was thinking about jumping ship and turning pro. There was a few interested parties and a few people reached out. Because um, you went with Cyclone, didn't you? I went I went with... Well, at the start, it wasn't Cyclone. It was Barry McGuigan right. at the start. And then we were linked with Barry Hearn before okay. Eddie got involved in the yeah. game. So that's that's how long I went in this game. So Barry Hearn actually promoted me at the, at the very right. start, but managed by, by Barry McGuigan. Okay. We'll talk about Barry later on. But you have 22 fights. When you're going through... Was it always in your mind, Billy Joe Saunders? And I, I'm not just using other people's names to, 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 to make uh, uh, substance in this interview, but I think it's relatable. He, from the outset, tells me that he had no doubt in his mind that he was going to be a world champion. Did you have the same vision of saying, "Well, this is I'm going, to, I'm going to get to the top of the tree"? Here. I always, I always had that dream, and I wanted to do it, but I was never actually quite sure that I was going to get there. I knew there was a lot of obstacles to overcome, and and I suppose you need a bit of rub of the green at the times as well and getting the right fights at the right times. And that was one thing, I mean, I, I'll give Barry McGuigan a lot of credit for. He really, he's a... He's he matched a, you properly. Matched me really, really well. Yeah. Um, one of the best matchmakers, I think, in, mm -hmm. in boxing. He knows the game inside out. And um, he, you know, each fight was progressive. Mm -hmm. And I was getting better with each and fight. At the right time for you. Yeah, at the right time, yeah. yeah. When, you, um, when you go on to fight for your world title, obviously you've had... A fight against your eventual opponent in Kiko Martinez, which was for the European hmm. uh, Super Bantamweight right. title, right? So that must have put you. Did it put you in a really good stead? Obviously, we've seen Kiko go on in his career, and we've seen him go and beat Kid Galahad. Don't last me, Kiko did, yeah. Yeah, and obviously he's you know he's had a good career yeah. in longevity. But when you when you beat him in the first fight, and then you end up fighting him two fights later, yeah, for for the world title. Hmm. Was it in your mindset that I've done him once and I know what he's all about, so this for me, without without being as assumptive that it's a given, I've got this guy's number. Well, this is my world title. I think it was in other people's mindset, but it wasn't really, it wasn't my thought of thinking. I I kind of, I remember actually when a big kick for the European title, a couple of fights later, he got a shot at a guy called Jonathan Romero. Mm -hmm. And he bashed up Jonathan Romero. And I remember watching the fight that was on. I remember cheering Kiko on. And, and and my reasoning for that was thinking, if Kiko won't be, be a world champion, I've already beaten him a couple of fights ago. So people, they, they assumed that this is a given, that he's already beaten him once. He beat him by knockout in, in, round, yeah. uh, in, in so the ninth round. So it's a win, yeah. But so they they look at that and they take it out of context a bit. They don't they don't remember that it was up until round nine. It was a really hard fight. It was nip and tuck. Mm. He was giving me a lot of a lot of things that I had to deal with, and they just think, yeah, it's a given. He's won this fight. So there was a different type of pressure different on me. Kind of pressure, yeah. And and I didn't like it if I'm being honest. That people right. just expected me to win, uh, and I knew I knew it was going to be tougher than than people thought. Who was training at the time? Shane. Uh, Shane was training me yeah. at the time for. Yeah, the world title fight, yeah, yeah. How'd you get on with Shane as a trainer? 
He comes with. I mean, I think he's a good, very good trainer. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a Shane was. I mean, obviously the relationship's broken down, but yeah. I mean, he was he was a, a one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. He um he was a groomsman at my wedding, but very very knowledgeable for a young man. Can can see things in fights. You know, when you're watching opponents, mm -hmm. he would pick things up before I would mm -hmm. in preparation for preparing for these opponents. So uh, I, to be fair, he should do, shouldn't he? Yeah, That's I think so. As a yeah. yeah, but he yeah. is. Um, I was in boxing a lot longer than Shane, but he was just a bit more astute than me, and and yeah. and, and, and he was yeah very very knowledgeable. So now you're the IBF super featherweight champion. When you become a world champion, does it change? the way you view the world uh, there was definitely a, a, a parade involved and in, in, in a type of parade that, that, that i was the, the best mm -hmm. in the world at, at super bantamweight at that point in time um yeah very very proud of that but i mean i think that's one of the reasons why i i garnered the support that i did and, yeah. and had the fan base because i, I kind of remained the same mm -hmm. like people talk about the boy next door type of person and other guys have done it previous to me ricky hutton Mm. Prime example, uh, Barry McGuigan as I'm not well. I'm not talking about you going Billy Big Time. I'm talking about the sense of feeling inside you where it builds an inner sense of confidence and belief and it changes. It doesn't, you don't have to be a, an arsehole yeah. when you're successful. My point was, did you, did you sense a change in yeah, yourself? Yeah, I probably did. Look, I, I, I'm sure I was, I was probably walking around Belfast city centre, you know, puffing my chest yeah. out. But with no sense of arrogance, really. I wasn't no. an arrogant person. But there was definitely a, a I suppose I, I was proud of what I'd done, but there was also this pride from the people of Belfast that one of our own, yep. you know, was on top of the world here. So there was probably a, a change, but it was it was a positive change. People people were good to me. Because it's a unique part of the world, isn't it, Northern Ireland? When you look at some of the mercurial talent that's come out of there, the geniuses, I mean, you'd fall into that category because you've gone on and won world titles. Well, I don't know. There's, well, you, there, I mean, you've got Best and Higgins well, that's and, and AP. But that's my point. Yeah. That's something about that country that spawns kind of people that go on, like mm. you say, Georgie Best and Alex Higgins, mm. AP McCoy. And Barry, yeah, you Barry. know, and 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 go on to be such dominant forces in their industry at, at very high levels of attainment and almost mercurial levels. Yeah, when you go on to your first world title defense against Chris Avalos, you're now the world champion. Where does that, in your mind's eye, rank for you in the terms of recognition? It was it, that was a big fight, and this was probably the first occasion where I've had, you know, he was. He was a loudmouth American, this guy. Right. Um, very arrogant. Not not a nice person. His family weren't particularly nice people. Um, Did he irritate you? He irritated me, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he, he made this remark, actually, at one of the press conferences about me being born with a silver spoon. Right. I'm Which was thinking, far from the truth. Right? Far from the truth. Yeah. Um, I imagine he probably grew up in hardship coming from where he came from. But to say that that, that, I, that I, had, I was born with a silver spoon was, was wrong. And it was something that annoyed me. He was one of the only opponents, actually, that I... I, I really had this hatred for, really had a hatred okay. for him. And I knew, I, I kind of spoke to myself going into that fight. The plan was to, to knock him out. I knew I could mm -hmm. do that. But you always see typically at the end of fights when someone, you know, there's animosity in the buildup, then they're all hugging. Hug you know, it's, yeah. I didn't want to do that with him. I wanted, I didn't want anything to do with him. And yeah. um, I don't know, maybe that's just a bit, it's, it's real, isn't it? You know what I mean? I, I, I didn't necessarily have to like him because I've just fought him and beat him. Was there always a need? I mean, the hatred that you might have felt for Avalos because he was getting up your nose. But was there always this need from you as a fighter to have something to look at that fighter about and go, 
Not having you. Yeah, there was a wee bit of that. Uh, and, and me and Kiko, I mean, that's another example. We, we, we've, we're, we have a great relationship now, although there's a bit of a language barrier. We'd talk to each other in text via Google Translate every now and again. And there's a great respect there. But I had that for Kiko. Right. Um, I had it for most people. There was always this sense. I knew there was a few fighters who, fighters sometimes typically try and lull you in this sense of friendship yeah. almost. Full sense of security. Yeah. yeah. And and they do it in the lead up to the Which fights. Which is what Andy Ruiz did to um, yeah. Joshua. Right? Yeah. And yeah. They, do it, they do it in the lead up to the fights, but they also do it in the fight. Right. So you typically you'd see a fighter who. What does that mean? Would do something wrong and he would right. touch gloves. Right. He was drawing you in. Yeah. yeah and it's yeah. like, you know, sorry about that, touch yeah. gloves. And I always think it's a bit of a pantomime. It's a bit yeah. of an act and it's all a bit fake. So right. I never, I never got involved in it. Never got involved in it, mm. and and I always, not a, not hatred, but or not a disrespect, but I, I I don't know. I just had this thing. This guy's this is all fake. He really wants to take my head off. He doesn't want to be my mate, and that was that was my outlook. Really, yeah. Talk to me about Scott Quigg. I mean, you you disliked or you hated Avalos. Mm. Did you have similar feelings towards Scott? I I had a dislike for Scott. Um, which is gone, but I did have a dislike for him then. Why? Because I I was trying to fight him for for quite a while before we actually did fight. He was he was British champion. British title was always something that I wanted to win. I never got the chance to do it because Scott Quigg wouldn't fight me while he was British champion. Um, and I, I yeah I just had a bit of a dislike to him. Um, didn't really get on. Well, I suppose I had a more of a dislike for Joe Gallagher as well as trainer. Okay, what's yeah. that? I just thought he was very outspoken and right. and a bit too bullish. Plus, what are you doing on the show with me? <laughs> <laughs> I know, uh, but Joe was a bit like that. Uh, he said too much. Uh, uh, sometimes could be negative and derogatory. Um, and at that time as well, I I, I wasn't a an Andy Hearns fan club really. Right. So um, I had a dislike of the whole team really. Right. But that's all. That's all kind of tamed itself the fight itself i mean he's a wba champion you're the ibf champion it's a great one it's mm. a domestic fight of sorts in these aisles yeah right he's an englishman you're an irishman mm. but it's within the aisles yeah was it the fight you anticipated no because he didn't when it got when it went further down the stretch he started to make a bit yeah. of an impression but he didn't very early on the fight no did he? he didn't and Senna didn't anticipate it I, I i suppose i didn't because it was for a period in the fight it was very easy i was you know i remember coming back and and sitting in the stool at the end of the sixth round and hardly blowing and thinking I'm doing very little here to win win rounds. And I remember the advice, and it was good advice from Shane, just just keep doing that. Don't yeah. have to get too carried away. Yeah, don't change. Just, be, just do the simple stuff. And Quig kind of started a little bit and he tried a little bit more towards the end of the fight. And there was this narrative actually in the fight that if Quig had started sooner, then he would have beat me. And right. I'm like, well, if he had started sooner, he might have got knocked out yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and actually, I, I, my best round in the fight was the last round. So that kind of blows that argument out of the water that I won the 12th round. So, um, yeah. What do, why do you think it was so much easier for you? I mean, you, it's very rarely that you'd use an expression easy in a unification fight yeah. or in turn, certainly the amalgamation of two belts. Um, do you think that was just levels? No, I always thought it was better than Scott Quigg. And I, you know, right. without being disrespectful to him, I, I was a better fighter than, than Scott Quigg. And... I, I could think my way around a ring. I could adapt better than Scott Quigg. Um, I was just, I was just a, a more clever fighter. And I'm actually, it was, it was a funny moment. And when we done the head to head, but there was a, he was a Sky fighter at the time, and this was on Sky. Right. And I remember making a point where I'd said something like, um, 
your level of intelligence because I used to I used to laugh at him because he wasn't the, the the sharpest tool in the box. <laughs> okay. And I said something like, "Your level of intelligence outside the ring reflects on how you fight inside the ring. You're not a clever fighter." And he says, "What do you mean?" And I looked at Johnny going, "Johnny." Okay. But they cut it out. Sky cut it out because he was a fighter. Um. So, uh, yeah, I, I always used to wind quick up about not being the sharpest tool. But I, I, may, I regret that a wee bit because I maybe shouldn't do that. But but that was then, wasn't it? Yeah. That was in fight time, wasn't it? That was when you were trying to get into one another's heads and mm. create an advantage, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that's that, that was the name of the game then as well. And, yeah, uh, I'm pretty yeah. sure that Muhammad Ali spent time regretting calling Joe Frazier and Uncle I'm Tom. I'm sure he did, right? yeah, yeah. You know, because it was the moment and that was what was said at the time. Any other, was there any, I mean, I know he wanted it because, he, because he'd lost his belt. But was there any thought in your minds that a rematch was on something um, you might want to do? Nah, it was never really spoken about the rematch and there was no appetite for it because the fight was such a boring fight. Right. Um, if it had been a, a more exciting fight, maybe. maybe. I, I don't remember one person, maybe apart from Scott Quigg asking for a rematch, no one really cared about it. Right. And at that stage, the, the plan for me was then to move up I was starting yeah, I was, to struggle. I was gonna, I was, that was a point I was going to ask you because ultimately you go up to featherweight now. Mm. Is that predominantly because of the weight situation? Predominantly, yeah. yeah. Um, but there was also the fact that there was a massive fight up there with, with Leo Santa Cruz. I may have been able to make super bantamweight again, yeah. um, but it was it but was a struggle. Yards, yeah. It was a struggle. So um, when you know when the offer comes to fight Leo Santa yeah. Cruz for way more money than you've ever made. Yeah. Easier to make weight because you're moving up four pounds. And what was really nice actually was just how easy it was to make weight. And four pound doesn't seem like a lot, but mm. I mean it was it was it was enjoyable for the first time making weight where I'm not really having to kill myself. The first fight you win in America, you go back for the rematch in America, and this is the first time that you're staring in a as a professional fighter where it really matters. Mm. The amateurs are you're learning your trade, and of course it matters in those in that respect, but you're going to move on to different things. But in the pro game, you've got an O, yeah. and you're going with a legacy, and you're representing your country in lots of different ways, but you get beat. Yeah. How does... You, you're then stripping away a certain aspects of something that defines you. You're defined as a bloke, yeah. but also you're defined by Carl Frampton, the world champion. Yeah. How does that feel? What does that do to you? When you lose a fight like that, it was really, it was difficult. It's it's it was the first time I'd lost as a professional, but I lost against a very good fighter. Yeah. Um, but I still wasn't happy with that. Uh, you know, I wanted to beat him. I was going into the I'd already beaten him the first time. I was going in, not expecting to beat him. Understand it was going to be a difficult task, but or maybe expecting to beat him. Maybe maybe that's the right word to use. But I think we we just got it wrong as a team right. there in that and, and we we thought that. Leo Santa Cruz couldn't really adapt and he was he had one style of fighting which was 100 miles an hour but he changed it a little bit more he boxed a little bit more and um, but how do you process the loss mate did it damage you did it create a culture in your minds of knowing what defeat looks like or did you find just a, a way to process it and gone well he was a fucking good fighter yeah, so with that in mind yeah, look, it I is tried, what it is I tried to be rational about things and, and yeah he's a good fighter we had two good fights two close fights I had won one he'd won the other one um, I was thinking that we're probably going to settle the score and get a third fight yeah I was going to ask you why doesn't that happen um, well there is a few reasons I talk about it in the book there was there was no rematch clause I was the champion getting into the second fight so there right. should have been a rematch clause right. but there wasn't 
um, and, and the reason for that, is that was another reason why you might be irritated with Barry. A little bit, yeah. yeah. He, he, uh, you know, I'd linked up with Al Heyman at the time as well, okay. and and Al Heyman had had spoken to Barry. Uh, according to Barry, I wasn't involved. I wasn't privy to any of these meetings, but and said, look, Al Heyman is saying that Leo won't win the second fight, but if he does. We'll have a gentleman's we'll, agreement. We'll have a gentleman's agreement. We'll yeah. have a, a a rematch. But I mean, gentlemen's agreements don't really work. Well, on your ass, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So you lose your world title. It doesn't diminish you. Does it put fire in your belly? Yeah. Yeah, right? it did. So you go and have a few more fights. You start to rebuild yourself, and then you get you get an IBF shot again, a belt that you've held in a different division mm. against Josh Warrington. This was billed or or recorded as a fight of the year. I'm a great admirer, as I am of you, I'm a great admirer of Josh Warrington because too, I think he's yeah. a decent kid yeah. and an honest fella and has fought similar fighters to you. He fought Kiki Martinez, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Got his butt title back. But you lose that fight. Yeah, that that was a hard one because I think I was quite a substantial favourite actually going into that fight mm. and, and, and the majority of people thought that I was going to win the fight. I knew it was going to be a difficult fight. I, I knew that Josh Warrington, he had a great win against Selby um, previous to that. He was on fire, really. Um, he he was very fit, physically strong. He was tough, um, but I, there was nothing to suggest that he was a puncher before. So I, I thought that because his record was, I think, about thirty wins at the time and, and six knockout wins. So I'm thinking, I've been in with some big men. I've been in with some big punchers. I've sparred big guys. He won't be able to hurt me. He'll hit me a lot, but he'll not be able to hurt me. And that was that was the mistake that I made getting into that fight. I've never been hit as hard in my life. Right. Nothing to do with the legacy of having lost a fight previously. No. Would it would, if you'd have gone into that fight undefeated, would it have been any different for you, do you think? Or I, just I, the outcome was no, that I think at I, that moment in time you fought someone that was able to get an outcome against you yeah. that they would have gotten whatever frame of mind you were in, whatever condition your boxing record was. Well, I like. think without without um you know, I don't want to be derogatory to Josh Warrington because, as you said, you're a fan of him. I'm a fan of him. Um, I have a lot of respect for him. But if, I think if I went into that fight with a mindset of going into a fight with someone like Kiko Martinez, yeah. who I know could switch her lights out in a, mm. in a split second, or even Scott Quigg, who was a noted puncher, I was just a bit more on edge for these types of fighters. Right. But I wasn't for Josh. Well, I, knew it was, to that. I knew it was going to be a difficult fight, but I, I just didn't think he could hurt me. No, I'm listen, I'm a respecter of Josh Warrington, but there's a respectful way to say something about someone that's not complimentary. You don't yeah. have to be rude about them. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I, you know, in terms of suggesting that, I, because I like Josh Warrington, I think that ultimately you should be able to give an answer. You say what you think, mate. Yeah. Um, but That's an issue with boxing. Boxers are very, very touchy. Well, I was going to ask you that. Very sensitive. Because every time I open my mouth about boxers, I've never seen people cry so much. Yeah, I, I'm getting it now as well. Even the, the punditry stuff that I'm doing, uh, you know. You, you, By the way, you, I think you're a good pundit. Thank you very yeah. much. You, you throw a little bit of criticism, uh, you know, well, you a like fighter's that. way. Were no, you like no, no, I wasn't. Fucking thin-skinned. Yeah. I mean, the promoters are thin-skinned. They, they'll say whatever they want. The moment you go, well, hang on a second, that's not right. Or hang on a second, that wasn't very good. Well, you didn't lace any gloves up, so you can't talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Well, I know I didn't lace any gloves up. I know I'm not half the man that you are because I couldn't go in the ring and do what you do. Mm. But notwithstanding it, you can take a bit of criticism. You take the praise, right? Yeah. They were. I mean, you're ten times worse than footballers, and they're bleeding yeah. babies. Yeah, and it's it's strange because obviously the boxing world is such a macho world, isn't it? But you 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 dare criticize a little bit and. Does it make? Does it compromise you? Do you feel that you're duty bound? I don't think you do because I think you're quite to the point. But do you feel there's any inclination or any obligation for you to 
Well, I don't say that because he's one of mine. No, no. Um, and, and I think a prime example of that was I, I worked before I got the gig with TNT. I was doing a bit of radio stuff for, for Five Live and uh, Josh Taylor fought Jack Catterall. He's thin-skinned. Yeah. Josh, me. Josh is a good friend of mine. Jack Catterall. He's a brilliant fighter. Yeah. But I mean, just because I told him that Jack Catterall beat him, well, I, I he not like me no more. I, I said the same. I said that he didn't win that fight. And um, people were surprised at that because I was going to his wedding about two months later um, and I was wondering actually myself whether the invite still stood but it, <laughs> it, it did but again that this is me trying to be honest I, I said that Josh didn't win the fight but what it did say is that Jack was very very good on the night but Josh wasn't was far from at his best why is it that that, that seemingly there is this propensity for people to be thin skinned is it because you just you've got to be no negative stuff around you. That's probably is it, it. Is it? That's probably it. Um, Would you have ever been thin-skinned? No, if I, not if really. I was, if I was on a radio going, fuck it, that old Carl Frampton stunk the place out last night. He no. was lucky to get a win. Would that have offended you? Or would no. you just gone out of background noise? No, I, it would. It may, maybe it would have annoyed me a little bit when you're listening to it. It's, it's, I suppose like it's the same as the old story. Like you, you focus on one negative comment out of 100 positive ones on, on social media or whatever. Yeah. So maybe, yeah. maybe it's the same case. Actually, I remember... Steve Bunt said something um, about me, and Steve is a friend of mine, and, and uh, you know uh, a work colleague now. Yeah, I see you with him every day. And yeah. he, and he, uh, yeah. he, he criticised me in one of my performances once, once, and rather than throw the toys out of the pram, I, I had sent him a private message just saying, Steve, look, this yeah. is what I think. Um, my opinion's a little bit different than yours, and that was fine. That was it. Yeah, I think that's a grown-up way to be, but a lot of people aren't that way. After Warrington. You were considering retirement? Yeah. You're now at Feather. Mm. Are you struggling with the weight there? Not really. It wasn't easy. But you didn't make weight on a fight, though, did you? Was I missed it, was one. It, was that it was Gonzalez? previous to that. That was, uh, no, that was a kid called Gutierrez. Gutierrez. So that, Sorry, was, yeah. that was my last fight with, well, it would have been my last fight with the McGuigans. And at that stage, my head was up my ass, really. Right. Um, I wasn't focused. I, I, I just wasn't mentally, I wasn't in the right frame of mind for that right. fight. But... It wasn't easy anymore doing featherweight, but I was I was still okay doing it. I thought about retiring after the Warrington defeat. Genuinely thought about it, and and actually I was probably without making any announcement. I was a retired fighter for about two weeks. Right, and then uh, Top Rank reached out um, about doing a, a deal with me and a chance to fight either Oscar Valdez or uh, Jamel Herring and right. a crack to become a three weight world yeah. champion. So. Yeah. That was music to my ears then. I just thought, right, you know, do you know what? Give it another go. I'm better than the Warrington performance. I don't want to finish on a fight like that. And I want to I want to push for something else. You lost that fight. Was it a combination? You're going, you've now gone through three weight classes in five years. Hmm. Yeah? Give or take. Yeah, about that, yeah. Right. What was your undoing at Super Feather? Was it just that you're going up into a weight class where the attributes that you had that made you successful in featherweight mm. and at Super Bantam weren't there. A couple of things. So I, I was a bit older. So I think that one of my best attributes was distance control and kind of reactions. Um, and I, for a short guy, I had a, had a good job. But my job was good because I was able to cover distance with my feet and get back out of range. But that had just, I'd just lost that a little bit and I'd slowed down slightly. Also, Jamel Herring was a monster. Yeah. He was a big guy. He had fought as an amateur at, at 10 stone in the Olympic Games at Light Welterweight. Nice fighting at 9 stone 4 as mm. a pro. 
so he's he's really coming down a a big frame, and I'm going up into the weight. So it was he was just too big for me. I, I remember looking at him on the scales, and I made the weight pretty comfortably. I remember looking at him on the scales, going, "I'm gonna I'm gonna go right through you tomorrow night." He looked he looked like he was dead on the scales. Right. But when he when he walked into the ring, he was a he was a different, different man. Animal, yeah, yeah. yeah. The current landscape of boxing, the heavyweight division, everything feeds off the heavyweight division. Yeah. And obviously, a lot of noise has been made in recent times about uh, the decline of Anthony Joshua, who was the cash cow that everyone's fed through. I think Tyson Fury can lay a claim for some of that as well, because he's the one that scattered the belts in the first place by beating Klitschko, going to Germany and do it. What do you make to what's going on with the heavyweight division? Okay, we've suddenly started to see it maybe come alive a little yeah. bit now because we've got the Fury-Usyk mm. fight. But watching it over the last year... It's been a bit of a joke, really, isn't it? You've got people that haven't been making fights. We've not seen major heavyweight fights. We're not seeing any of the belt holders particularly fight as regularly as we'd like to, mm. albeit we've seen the fight that you commented commented on with Daniel Dubois and Alexander Usyk. What do you make of the heavyweight division? Yeah, well, it, I think it is a bit of a mess, if I'm being honest. The, the fights that, that we all want to see, they've been slow to be made. It looks like the Usyk fight and the Fury fight is, is done now yeah. um, without it being officially announced for a date or anything, which is good. I was always... Look, I I understand the criticism f thrown at guys like Fury after he had his, you know, his trilogy with Deontay Wilder, which was amazing. And which he won all three. Which he won way. all three, by the yeah. way, yeah. Um, then he went on a run of Dillian White, Derek Chisora and... and Soon to be Francis well, Ngannou. White's a fair fight for him because he was a mandatory, but it was levels on that fight, yeah, wasn't it? Of course, but Derek was a was a charitable fight. Yeah, wasn't it? it was. It was a it, you know, one one for the boys yeah. and just his mate. So, and Ngannou's coming up, and I, I just thought them three fights it's just not good enough for the Lineal heavyweight champion. Absolutely right. And but now we've got the Usyk fight, so I can understand why the Ngannou fight is happening. How do you turn down thirty million dollars to fight someone who's making their boxing debut? Oh no, you don't. You know what I mean? You don't. But then you but then you must fight legitimate fights after afterwards. That. And he's, well, yeah. if the Usyk fight happens, then I mean, we can all be very happy. What do you with think that. of Saudi Arabia? Good or bad thing? I think it's good. I mean, there's there's plenty of money. But I, I wish the Saudis were involved in boxing when I was in. <laughs> okay. I'd, I'd have loved they went out there and, and made a few quid. So yeah. uh, obviously, again, I understand the criticisms and and, and I think if people do, look. One of the big things is that people just be honest and say, money's money. too good to turn down. That's right. I'm yeah. going out there. I think people respect that. But yeah. when you got what Jordan Henderson has been saying, yeah. it's, it's and, just... And the golfers that are going yeah, over there because they want to change the culture. Yeah, it's, it's bullshit. Leave off. It's, it's bullshit. Yeah. You're going out there for a payday, um, which is too good to be true. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. What do you, what do you think of the Fury Usyk fight? I, th I think Fury is a strong favourite in that fight. I always thought he was a favourite in the fight. Um, but after... After watching the performance of Usyk against Dubois, yeah. although it was one-sided, the, the, obviously he looks like he can be hurt mm -hmm. to the body. Mm -hmm. I think the Fury says it's more than just a says. It would be unfair just to say Fury's too big and a says is what wins him the fight. But Fury can box. He's tough. Yeah, very resilient. But he's got that monstrous frame as well, mm -hmm. and and that's I think that's just going to be too much for. Be interesting because obviously Tyson's changed his style, hasn't he? His style now is to he goes head on, doesn't he? Yeah, and I have a theory about that. Go on. So he used to he used to be able to get up on his toes and move around and and do things that that weren't really, I mean they were unnatural for someone with you know his, his belly's hanging out him. over yeah. his shorts yeah. and and but he can move around like a featherweight. Um, I've I have this theory that the the new style of Tyson Fury is kind of because he has to fight like that now. 
Really? He has to come forward. He has to be aggressive because his knees and his ankles maybe just aren't up to it. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, you know, teaming up with with his new trainer. Yeah. Um, I, I think that he has an aggressive style as well. But maybe maybe that's me just thinking thinking too much about it. Because he was on his toes for the first fight, though, wasn't he? With yeah. Deontay Wilder. Yeah, he was. He was, and then that and then that changed. Yeah. But it's a it's a more exciting fury, mm. the one that we've got oh, absolutely. now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's one that it's that, that that we can all be excited about. I'm right though. When you, on the um, Dubois Usyk fight, you called it straight away, didn't you? Because I didn't think it was a low blow, and I can't understand the 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 referee's behaviour, and I can't understand Daniel Dubois, whatever how long ever he had to sit in the corner and wait for Usyk to get up, why he didn't fly across the ring. Because if it was Deontay Wilder, he'd have come across he'd the ring gone. throwing yep. bombs at him. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you called it straight away and then you doubled down, didn't you? Yeah. I've saw it live. That's not a low blow. Yeah. And now I've seen it in the replay. It definitely isn't a low blow. Yeah. What do you make I, of it? I, I still think that the punch was fair, but yeah. there's a couple of things to talk about here. I think Usyk just used his wisdom and experience yeah. and he knew he would get away with it. He knew the referee would allow him up almost in, four it, minutes. In Ukraine as well. Yeah, in Ukraine. In Poland. And Poland, Poland, Ukraine, yeah, with Ukrainian yeah. support. Yeah. Um, he would allow him a lot of time to recover if he just milked it a bit. So that was him using his experience. But I was disappointed in Daniel not putting the foot on the pedal, not going for the kill. And then at the end... He was on his knee at the end, mm. um, and and that was I, you know, Daniel is someone who I think. Do you think ha- he can win a world title? He has ability. He has the ability to do it, and he's a punching part to do it. But mentally, there's something lacking, mm. and he needs to sort that out before before he do you can. Think he I can? think I think he can. You know, there, yeah. you can speak to sports psychologists and stuff, and and, and change change a lot of things. But um, and he's he's young enough to be able to change it. You know, heavyweights can go on into their forties. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of them do. Um, so there's there's time for him, and I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him just change a few things. What do you think about Joshua? I mean, I mean, it's interesting now that Fury's made this fight with Usyk because where does it leave Anthony Joshua? People keep saying to me that they don't believe that Joshua's got that desire to go into a place anymore where you put yourself at risk. What he did with Vladimir Klitschko was go to a dark place and be prepared to do whatever it took to win that fight. He'd take a shot to get a shot off. Yeah. Do you think that of Joshua? No, Joshua is someone who I I kind of feel sorry for him on a shooting because he's an Olympic champion. He's a multi-millionaire. He's, he's been a world Terrible, heavyweight champion. Yeah, I know. But he, um, he he gets so much criticism. And I think that one of his issues at the minute is he's, he's really caught in between two styles. He's trying to change what what was successful for him. Isn't um, that though because he got knocked out by Andy Ruiz? And yeah. ever since, well, more to that, ever since Klitschko knocked him down, Hasn't that beginning to be developed because it's part and parcel of not wanting to get hit? Yeah, well, there's this thing of him being a bit gun shy and not yeah. wanting to lock horns with people because when you're when you're throwing, that's when you're mm-hmm. susceptible to be getting yep. nailed yourself. So Ranger. that's what people say. Um, I, I you think, think that's true. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't really know. I but think when you that, look at it as a fighter, you know you're looking at it and you've got an opinion. Don't be diplomatic. Yeah. Do you think he's going to be able to reignite that? Would you expect him to, to be able to reignite what was once? The thing that made him a compelling heavyweight. Well, I think if he if he's been able to do it before, surely he can he can pluck it out of somewhere again and do it again if he has to. I think that one of one of the issues is I, I genuinely I think one of the issues is that he's he's got a new trainer, Derek James, and they're yep. trying to change his style a little bit. So I think he's 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 boxing in a way that the coach wants him to, and I think that's probably in preparation for fights like Wilder or Fury or maybe Usyk if they come again 
the trainer doesn't want him to be so gung-ho. So I think when you look at performances against Franklin, I think he's performing like that because that's the instruction that he's told the, the box to for potentially preparing for future fights. Now, in saying that, I think the way that AJ beats someone like Wilder is to be a bit more of the old AJ yeah. and have a go. And, and I think if he tries to stand off and box, he, he might get nailed and, and knocked out. Mm. And he might get nailed and knocked out if he comes to fight. Yeah, he well, might as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're 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 a bit like me. I'm not really a big fan of these crossover MMA YouTube fights. Um, do you think they add value to the sport? Are you, I mean, you've got has your attitude changed? I think you've been a little bit condemnatory of it. Yeah, I, but have I, you changed in your views? It's changed a little bit. The YouTube stuff. I think we that that's different from the crossover stuff when you've got you know Francis and and Tyson. I'm I'm not like I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I can see what it's about. But when you have these YouTube guys fighting and and doing bigger numbers and than than real boxers, it's a concern for me. It should mm. be a concern for boxing as well. But I think that I think it might it might be something that that kind of gives boxing the kick up the backside that it needs. And and mm. what we want to see is is the big fights being made like Terence yeah. Crawford and Earl Spence that of we've course. seen this year. Yeah. Um, and uh, while Davis and Ryan Garcia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. there's been a lot of good fights this year, but while that YouTube stuff is going on and and, and garnering so much interest, boxing needs to. Does kinda, it get on your nerves though? When I see oh, it, it does. <laughs> what, what I tell you, what gets on my nerves. When you get them, look, I understand what it is, YouTube guys. I know what they're what they're doing, and they're making a few quid. But when you have them, you know, Jake Paul, calling I actually Canelo Everest, calling it Canelo, like yeah. come on, it's it's madness, it's madness. Well, there's a part of you wish him to go in there, like Canelo Everest. Go, I tell you what, what then? Imagine, you know and what I mean? Imagine that would be that's. A, I mean, that's a, a thirty second fight. You know I what know I mean? So, yeah. um, I don't know. I don't know. I I understand what they're doing, and and. And I know why they're doing it. And Jake Paul, by the way, is someone who I actually have a, a fair bit of respect for. More, well, he's a clever little son. Yeah, he is. Yeah. More respect than I did initially at the start. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the YouTube stuff, I, I don't, I'm, nah. I'm not interested in it. No, nah, me either. You changed your management relationship on controversial terms. And, and I've met Barry McGuigan and I've met Shane McGuigan and I'm surprised at the challenges that seem to have come your way because Barry struck me in the time that I've spent with him as being fundamentally quite a decent bloke. Mm. Sets up the PBA with the best interests of boxers in mind, talking about the medical conditions that boxers should have to experience ringside, looks at pensions so that boxers are looked after outside the ring. I am interested to understand the, 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 the nature of your breakdown with Barry McGuigan. Money was something that was obviously a concern in my initial re relationship with Barry. And, and the stuff that you said about him being a decent guy, I, I once thought about all that sort of stuff, but I, I know him better than, than most people on the planet, um, apart from his, his close family. Mm. I've been around him for, for so much, and I was fed up at the end when I left Barry. Um, I, was, I was waiting on paydays for way too long. I was getting big expenses, bills that were nothing to do with my fights. Uh, there was someone as a director of Cyclone Promotions, which I once was. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a VAT man turned up at, at my door looking 397 grand. Mm -hmm. um, so that was that was the, the straw that, that broke the camel's back for me. Do you I not? Just, do you not? Um, I mean, I you know these are these are experiences that you've got. And I'm not here to deny or decry them. And I'm assuming you've had legal battles and someone's yeah. come out with an outcome, right? Yeah. How much are you guys culpable? For not paying attention to your own business, you talked about being naive. Yeah, 
has that really made you much more worldly and wise now about the reality oh, of the circumstances? Yeah, I, I think that I'm a I'm a, a wiser person from from what went on. But uh, so, yeah, boxers need to take a bit of responsibility that if this stuff's going on, then then you're allowing it to happen, really. Um, but you know, you got to remember the majority, the vast majority of boxers come from a background of you know working class yeah, families, yeah. no idea about business uh, at the time. You know, I. I the thing with me and, and Barry and all the McGuigans was was trust. I I loved these people and I trusted them with everything. And to the point where, you know, I you know contracts were put in front of me and I just signed them because Barry was asking me to sign it yep. and I trust this man. He's not going to screw me. Um, I never had any legal advice. But how did you get into a situation? I mean, is it right that you, as you've just described, you you have an implicit and explicit trust, and I think that's very unique to your sport to some extent because you're putting your hands sometimes in the lives of your trainer so I can understand that relationship how did you get yourself in a situation where you became privy to what you are beginning to think is people taking money that belongs to you you're not in a situation where you're getting the kind of benefits from fights that you had anticipated yeah how did how did that come? How did you become aware of that? Well, you, you start to people start to talk about it. around the Quig fight. They they kind of laughed. At, so the the split in the Quig fight was in my favor. It it it, it should have been sixty forty, but it was that we we give a little bit and it, it was fifty seven and a half and and forty two and a half in my favor. And I remember Scott Quig making a a point of and I mean you know I I've been someone who's who's criticized Scott Quig for being a bit daft. Yeah, but he made the point to me yeah, that okay, yeah. although you're getting a higher percentage, I'm getting more money out of this yeah. fight than you are. So in a sense, I was I was the daft one. Um, so whispers started to happen, and people started to make these little snag comments. I'm waiting. There was there was purses where I'm waiting sometimes eleven months to receive my purse. Right. I I went into the I went into the first Santa Cruz fight waiting on the Quig payday. I haven't been paid for Quig yet. And I went right. into the second Santa Cruz fight having not been paid for the first one. Now, there's not many fighters would do that. But what's the explanation? The explanation was at the time, it used to get fed this lane, we're trying to give it to you the most tax efficient way possible, whatever that means. Like the McGuigans aren't accountants, my accountants, accountants sort that sort of stuff out. But again, it was just a naivety and a trust and maybe starting to think that Maybe just want not wanting to believe that these guys were messing me about a bit. I, I didn't I didn't want to believe it. Maybe telling myself that mm. I hope I'm wrong here. I hope this this isn't what it looks like. But given this relationship with you, and I see Barry's relationship with fighters on the side of fights, I see the joy and the exuberance that both Shane and Barry had in the Chris Billum Smith. Yeah. And I hear Chris Billum Smith talking precisely like you about about you, the version of you that had a relationship with Barry, um, about the absolute nature and strength and trust and yeah. love he has for the McGuigan family and how he is where he is in all levels yeah. because of Barry, because of Shane, because of the McGuigan family and what they've done to support him. They're like a second family. Why would Barry behave towards you with so much in common, such a background to have, sh to have shared? Okay. You're a Protestant, he's a Catholic, but that's incidental. You both yeah. come from a very fiercely proud community with both great values in life. Why would he have done these things to you? 
you'd have to ask him that. I'm not well, sure. Why do you, well, okay, well, I'm asking you why you think he would I have think done of it. I think a lot of it, I think, I think greed and ego played a part. Why now? With Why why do you reawaken this feud with Barry now? That, uh, uh, genuinely, that's not my intention. Genuinely. I, I've, 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 Is it because you've got booked still? Yeah, well, it's been a, it's been a, a long process, the book. I've been doing it for quite a while. One one of the reasons, and and I think that the, obviously the court case features a lot and heavily in the book, and, and takes up a, a substantial amount of the book. The court case happened during COVID, um, and I don't think it was reported on correctly. It was nineteen days of a trial, and I used right. to remember rushing home to watch the, the UTV and the Footage, BBC yeah. Northern yeah. Ireland news. You know, something big has been discovered in court. They're going to talk about this, and it was just missed. Right. It would have been. I mean, it would have been. It was high profile in, in Belfast, Northern yeah. Ireland, because of the relationship yeah. with me and Barry, but maybe not so much over here. But the courtroom would have been packed if it was allowed to be, um, mm. and there would have been a lot more attention around it. So this is my way of of giving my side of the story as well. Did but there's more, there's more than that. It's not mm. just that. Did it take a lot out of you? The court case did. I remember I was cross-examined, I think, for about five days. Um, it was the worst experience of my life. When, when you have a, a barrister... Who, in my opinion, their their QC, a guy called Liam Cullum, big, tall, you know, six foot five, tall, overbearing like figure, aggressive. I thought in in his nature and how and how. He, well, his job is to get you unsettled. Yeah, get things out of your mouth he doesn't want. And, he, and he oh, you don't want. Yeah, him. and he. But it was like every you know he asked you a question, you answered, and he just called me a liar. That, that's what it felt to me. Mm. Um, my, my QC was a bit more. He had, a, he had a different tact. He was he was brilliant. Guy called Gavin Miller, and he kind of, I I thought at times he kind of had had Barry and and Blaine McGuigan wrapped up mm. and um and kind of tied them up in knots. Very very smart man, um. But it, that that whole process after I was after I was cross examined, it was okay. I could sit yeah. back and enjoy Watch it. it. Yeah, yeah. But that for that for them five days, horrible, it's an interesting experience. Horrible experience. I, ironically, it was a Northern Irishman Ian Dowie I took to court for fraud, and I had three days in the witness box. Yeah, can you see a situation where you and the McGuigans ever let bygones be by, or you forgive? No, no. Um, I, I think, yeah, that's that's the easy answer. No, I think that the trust is is just it's gone. It's it's completely, it's gone, and there's been a lot of a kind of. I suppose a bit of back and forth and, and people saying different things in the press and there's a lot of attention around this book probably mm. I imagine if you ask them the same question they'll yeah. say no with the book now no, probably yeah, absolutely yeah. but um, no that once that once that trust is, is gone and broken gone. Yeah, yeah you're not getting that back how'd you get on with Frank I like Frank yeah I do too yeah, I, mean, I get on with him yeah yeah I mean I, I when I have Frank I mean if people make an accusation that I don't particularly like Eddie Hearn and so I, I operate in a different way with Eddie Hearn than I do with Frank Warren yeah. or with Ben Shalom. The only thing I dislike about Eddie Hearn is the bullshit around Conor Ben yeah. and that nonsense. You got a view on that Conor Ben situation? Yeah, it's, it's just a mess, isn't it? I think it was handled very, very badly. I was one of the outspoken ones at the start to, to say that I, I'm of the opinion that drug cheats in boxing, the, the ban should be a lot harsher than what they are. Um, and there shouldn't be the ability to just go and change jurisdictions and, and get a license from mm -hmm. another another country and, and be able to continue on with your career as if nothing happened. I, I do not agree with that. The way it's been handled, it's it's been it's been handled very very poorly.
When I you think look, they would even admit that themselves. Well, they are now because it's becoming a little bit more difficult for them. And what they're not able to do without tooting my own horn, it's one thing standing in front of an IFL or a YouTuber. Yeah. It's another thing standing in front of me when I'm not interested in having yeah. a relationship with you and I couldn't give a shit whether you would bring one of your fighters on my show or not. Yeah. Then you're going to have to ask some proper questions. So it's making people grow up a, li a little bit. What I like about Addy, just, just before you, you go on, actually, he's he doesn't shirk away from it. He actually spoken to you about it, hasn't he? he has, and, yeah. and he's come on he your has, show, yeah. which which you, you yeah. got you got to respect. No, I do respect that. I do respect it. You know, completely misrepresented most of the commentary on it, <laughs> but notwithstanding, I yeah. do respect the fact he came on. What do you, do you think? Promoters have got too much power and influence. Yeah, I think they do. They've and, and the biggest influence they have is over the governing bodies, and, and that's that's BBOC. wrong. Uh, not even the BBOC. I suppose they have I'm a bit of WBCs. I'm talking about the WBCs and the IBS and the WBAs and all that. Um, because that's it, the licensing fees. Yeah, it? it is. But yeah. I mean, boxing is the only. I don't know how if, if you know how uh, uh, the ranking systems work, but they have these kind of yearly meetings, and you literally go and put an argument forward why my fighter should be ranked <laughs> higher than your fighter, mm. and it's done in a boardroom. It's not done on on merit or or fights they've had or you know, normally it's you know, if if the the tenth and ninth ranked guys in the world beat each other. If a tenth guy beats a ninth guy, he moves move up mm -hmm. a spot, but. That's not the way boxing works. You you can discuss, you can have a discussion and get your man in the shot to fight for world titles. It sounds familiar to what I used to have to endure for my football players that used to read the sun scores. The sun's players used to be able to get a score on the side after their weekly performance. Oh, the ratings, yeah. The ratings. Yeah. And I had one of my players come in with five eights on a row yeah. and suggested he should get like a ten thousand pound a week pay rise on the back okay. of the fact <laughs> that the fucking sun would give him an eight rating. Yeah. There you go. Um last question for you. What do you think? your legacy is i want to be remembered as one of the boys you know someone who was sound who who was good at good at what he done um i i think that i always think that when you have a bit of a platform as a sports person or a musician or whatever it may be that you should use it in a in a positive way mm -hmm. uh, i i try to do that i'm a big advocate of integrated education at home um uh, kind of a mental health advocate I've done a documentary on, on mental health and, and young men in particular okay. in Belfast well recently which was good and the feedback's been great I'm doing I'm doing loads of different stuff I'm involved in a whiskey at the minute as well oh are you indeed yeah. you rascal yeah stable mate whiskey good right. product if you want one we'll yeah, I'll have some one. bottles sit down thank I'll you very much I'll send you one over yeah. don't you worry and I just want to be I want to be seen as yeah remember as like one of the boys who um, who could fight a bit I'm a bloody good fighter yeah and also, may I say, a bloody good pundit. Thank you very much. Thank you for being so upfront with me today, Carl Frampton. I've very much enjoyed it. Thanks, Simon. Upfront with me, Simon Jordan, is brought to you by William Hill. Future episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly.